Hello, this is Adapia DeRico, and you're listening to Journey Within, Insights on the Soul's Path, an audio archive of blog posts, personal insights, and conversations about the path to self-mastery and fulfillment. I hope you'll enjoy the content, and more importantly, that it'll spark the self-inquiry, contemplation, and reflection that forms the path for the journey within. Thanks for being here, for opening your mind, your heart, and your soul. Today, I am speaking with Ran Wei. Ran is an experienced communication coach who's passionate about bringing uncommon people onto common ground, and she loves working with women. After being part of creating diversity and inclusion development programs for large tech companies and startups, including Twitter and Morgan Stanley, Rand founded her company, Project Presence, to empower women to lead with confidence and communicate with purpose and intention in all areas of their lives. So let's dive right into our episode. Before hitting record, we were catching up on our mutual connection, Damon DeMore, who was on the podcast here a few episodes ago, and how he and I have really similar backgrounds, and then how you and I have really similar backgrounds, and we're both so inspired by each other, and I love that because it's this like love fest of inspiration and changing the world and helping other people. So tell everyone your story because it is quite impressive. This is fascinating because I was just thinking about this today. So as you're telling your story, I get really excited because there's a lot of it that I resonate with myself as well. So I started my career at Morgan Stanley. So also came from finance originally. Huge deviation since then, as you'll hear, as I'll tell you a little bit more about what happened after that. So started my career at Morgan Stanley liked it, but it kind of just fell on my lap. And like you have always thought of myself as a more creative person, but one thing led to another and uh, ended up starting my career in finance. And, you know, Morgan Stanley finance in New York was kind of a lot of people's dreams. So I think I was a little bit clouded by society saying that this is the definition of success, but I didn't really seek any other external opportunities to grow myself. And similar to what we were talking about before, face who I was and what I was passionate about. And then life happens and uh, had this opportunity to move to LA and leave finance and join tech. So then I went from Morgan Stanley to Twitter. And I remember being very hesitant at the time because uh, when I joined Twitter in 2015, the company was not doing well. So they had just gone through their first round of layoffs. Right now, I think their stock is at 40 something when I checked on Friday, which is incredible because when I first joined the company, it was at 14 (laughs) and leaving Morgan Stanley, going to Twitter, moving to LA that I had never even been to California in my entire life was a total faith for me. And I remember my last day of finance, a lot of my coworkers were like, you're making a mistake. Why are you even joining Twitter? Like it's a, it's a dying company, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like you're doing so well in finance. Like everybody wants to come to Morgan Stanley and here you are kind of leaving the dream. But then I realized to myself and I told myself this, you know, I define my own definition of success. Society's definition of success is someone working in finance in New York. And especially the reason that pushed me to stay at Morgan Stanley for so long was number one, I was doing well, but number two, there was not a lot of women. Mm -hmm. I was the only woman in my entire group 
And I was also the only Asian person on the entire floor. And so that drove me. I know a lot of people will feel self-conscious about that, but that interestingly enough, drove me to want to stay because for me, it's like, well, I want to be able to, since I can't look up and see anybody that looks like me or a familiar face that I can aspire to be like, I want to be that person for someone else. And I want someone like an, an intern or a more junior person to be able to look up at someone familiar enough to be a couple levels above them. And then one day, many levels above them and say, Hey, like, she's a woman totally killing it up there in finance or she's an Asian yeah. American. and, and I can do that too. So essentially for me, I'm just keeping the seat warm for the generation after me. And that was what drove me to stay in finance for so long, which then similar to you, that that's kind of where my passion for wanting to help other people and use my empathy to create connections started from. And then when I went to Twitter, it was the biggest, like I just said, the biggest leap of faith in my life. Twitter was not doing well at the time. I had no idea what tech even meant uh, and what being at tech meant, what the mm-hmm. culture was like. Interestingly enough as well, I was so used to the structured and more black and white world of finance and kind of more serious that I had a hard time transitioning to a more lax culture. When I started at Twitter, for example, all of my emails would be extremely structured and like per conversation and like warm regards and things like that. Yeah. And that's where I learned the whole yeah. mirroring because while that was my comfort zone and to me, it's like, this is professional at Twitter and I'm sure similar at Facebook, Google, you know, Snapchat, et cetera. It makes me feel uncomfortable when you yeah. that formally. So learned this, learned very early on this idea of mirroring and how important communication was in relationship. It's not about how you communicate. It's about how other people receive that communication. And so therefore, it's about talking and communicating in the way that others will be able to understand you. So that was fascinating. But then mm-hmm. I had the dream job at Twitter. I worked in brand strategy, which is Twitter's in-house creative team. And really, there's no place I would have rather wanted to be in. My day job was literally working with clients like Disney, Universal, Paramount, and helping them come up with creative strategies for their upcoming films. Yeah. I really... Yeah, it, fun. It, it was amazing. And to this day... I left Twitter very recently, so only a month ago. And to this, yes, so I'm still like, man. (laughs) But then I think that I just, I I started to become very comfortable. And something that also uh, drove me at Twitter, again, same as Morgan Stanley was, so I was a lead on Twitter Women, which is Twitter's employee resource group, Mm -hmm. um, supporting and empowering females in tech. And I found myself getting so, as much as I loved being on brand strategy, of course, I just found myself, there was another level of passion within me when I was leading Twitter Woman, helping put on events Mm. and talking to prospective college students that were prospective interns or um, Mm. candidates and telling my story of you know, where I've gone through my career, how I've navigated being a female in tech or even a female in finance at the time slash having a personality like mine that I'm a very naturally happy person. So Mm. because of that, people who are kind of more bubbly and friendly appear younger. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was afraid that, you know, that would cloud how people perceived my professional experience, that that would be clouded by my personality. And that's all that would be listened to and, and seen. And so sharing that story with prospective candidates and interns 
during Twitter Woman events, as well as fellow peers at Twitter, got me just so excited that that's I wasn't intending to tell this story, but that's what led me to found Project Presence. But uh-huh. for my career uh, and my day job, I loved I love present tense Twitter so much, and I love that world of brand strategy and creative so much. And I think it was Twitter that changed my life in terms of my career. Twitter taught me that there's a difference between what you're good at and what you love and what you're passionate about. Truly, mm-hmm. Twitter taught me that I'm good at finance, I'm good at the numbers, I'm good at being organized, but I love telling stories and I love being creative and I love thinking outside of the box and coming up with ideas that are totally bizarre and near impossible, but you try to make it work with creativity. And Twitter really taught me that, as well as obviously helping me solidify my passion and and helping other women and, and uplift other women. And so I decided that towards the end of my time at Twitter, I wasn't really looking to leave the company actually, because like I said, love it so much, but um, looked at all the people that I admired and realized that they were all part of the company before Twitter was Twitter. And I wanted to learn how to be, how to make an impact and grow something from nothing like they did with Twitter, which is what then led me to, so I'm now at a startup startup and it's, the first time I've ever been at a startup, the company is only 30 people and I am a senior marketing manager, which kind of, I, I still own a, a lot of the creative and the branding, but mm-hmm. now it's also a, like everything of marketing versus just the digital and creative space that I, I so knew and loved and was very confident in speaking to when I was at Twitter. So decided that life is about taking chances and taking leaps of faith and that if you never take that leap of faith and and are scared and see what's out there, then you'll never know. So that's what kind of led me to join Attentive, which is my current startup Mm -hmm. and help them build their story because I I don't want to look back at my career and know like, oh, I've, because to say that working at Twitter and Morgan Stanley didn't define a big part of my identity would be a lie. To say that those brands didn't define my personal brand would be a lie. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided that, you know, I'm in my late 20s now. It's time for me to step out a little bit and define my personal brand as RAN instead of RAN that works at Morgan Stanley and yeah. or works at Twitter. Because I know when I walk into, for example, a networking event or a happy hour or whatever, or just talking to anybody on the street, oh, where do you work? Oh, I'm a brand strategist at Twitter. Oh, that's so cool. And immediately you feel a lot of pride, you know, a lot of confidence in yourself. And I realized that I was leaning too heavily on that to define myself, whereas I wanted to build my personal brand for me. So now, obviously, when I talk to other people, it's like, where do you work? Oh, attentive. Oh, what is that? What do you guys do? Yeah, it's really different. Yeah, it's really different. It's like you don't have your quote unquote identity anymore by your workplace. Exactly. And it's very, honestly, it's a little hurtful to the pride at first. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, because, because I think working for a brand that's prestigious and that people know, or like Twitter, it's the hot company to work for gives you like confidence and makes you feel like you are qualified or you're good enough. Whereas that's really, that's not the case because like where you work does not define you. Mm -hmm. It's more about 
what you bring to the table as you, your knowledge, your personality, et cetera, et cetera. Where you work is just a piece of that, but that shouldn't be the front and center of that. And I think a lot of people, especially millennials, get lost in that. And so I remember the day that I left Twitter, I was just so, I don't know, I think I was a lot of different emotions of like, you know, I just it was hard for me to let go of a company that I love so much and a job that I love so much. And it just like my identity that had been with me for so many years that was ran like fun ran that worked at tech Twitter, you know, in a creative team. But then I was talking to a friend of mine and she was like, well, you have project presence, like project presence will be your identity. And a start a senior marketing manager that's helping build a brand at a brand new startup that's your identity. And that's powerful too. And I realized that, yes, I, I myself had also gotten lost in that whole society's expectations. And the same reason why I left Morgan Stanley ended up being the same reason why I chose to, to take this leap of faith and leave Twitter and join a startup because I realized that I was once again, letting society define my identity where Really, I think that more people need to create their own paths. They need to practice what they preach and be more adventurous in life and take more risks, um, obviously calculated risks and be scared because that's how they grow. And I was like, mm -hmm. I need to take my own advice and yeah, I need yeah. to be the change that I want to see in this world. And I also am also keeping, still keeping the seat warm for other Asian Americans, for other women, because at my startup now, it's amazing, but interestingly enough, was taking some, some pictures for marketing materials and realized I was like the only Asian person in the entire seating area. <laughs> and um, I was like, oh, wow. So there's a lot of work to be done here, but that's great because here I am able to teach other people about the importance of diversity and the importance of inclusion in the workspace. And here are so many people willing to listen and open-minded enough to listen that was like my platform has changed and it's different but it's just as meaningful and that makes me really excited <laughs> yeah well it sounds like your journey thus far has been structured yet fluid like yes. you went from morgan stanley which in and of itself is really structured and it's funny because our backgrounds also in big chunky categories are similar, yeah. like finance and then tech. Mine was like tech yeah. entertainment startup. And yeah. then, you know, and then it goes into kind of a, kind of a mix of both because you're yeah. at this new startup and, you know, you said something that I love because this is what I talk about a ton, even in, in my writing, which is the power that we have to redefine anything especially if it helps us be and become more of who we truly are. So who's to say that we need to live by a word or a definition or even societal expectations if they Absolutely. don't align? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that more people need to hear that and not just hear it, but really embrace that. Like mm -hmm. I was talking to, um, we have a new intern and she's Asian American, which made me so excited. <laughs> um, she's um, a senior right now at, at NYU and we were sitting down and 
I was talking to her about her future and she's like, well, I'm at, I'm studying finance right now, but you know, kind of wanted to get exposure into the startup world because people say that the startup world is so cool, but I know nothing about it, but I feel like finance is what's defined as like, you really made it out there. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do. But what I find that I'm more interested in is being creative. And like, she's telling me about her passion with uh, ever since high school about nonprofit work and whatnot. And I told her the same thing of what you just said that, you know, more people need to step out and, and come to terms with themselves and realize you don't need just because other people say that that's cool or that's success or mm-hmm. that's what you're supposed to be doing. That's not necessarily what you, what you should be doing. Right. Try out different things, you know, take leaps of faith. And I choose like, but I'm afraid that I'll make a mistake in my oh. That is huge because that's oh. the reason why so many people don't leave. Yeah comfort zone. Like when I left Morgan Stanley, a lot of people, especially the traders, they were like, well, you know, Morgan Stanley is so well regarded. Working in sales and trading is so well regarded that I feel like, you know, I can't, I can't leave this comfort zone. Whereas the the world is so big. Yeah. So many opportunities to, you know, like even we can do like you and I, we have our day jobs and then we also have our passion projects and you can have all of that, but if you never see what else is out there and give yourself the chance to to see, then you'll never know that part of yourself. And I told her that I was like, it's never a mistake, especially while you're young or even after you actually know, like wherever you are in life, whatever stage, it's never a mistake because Mm -hmm. everything you do is a lesson Yes, that you take or every direction that you choose to take your life is a lesson and nothing is ever forever if you don't want it to be forever. Like yeah. that's in your hands, you know, yeah. and more people need to need to realize and, and really embrace that. I think. Yeah, no, totally. I always say like, to me, failure is a word that I have completely flipped it around for me. Failure is feedback. Like we'll keep the F but it's, it's a hundred percent feedback, you know, yeah. because doesn't, what is failure? Like you can't really, you could define it if you're comparing yourself, but when we get into the realm of comparisons, we're going down a path that is really hard to get back out of. And then when it comes to things like being afraid of making the wrong choice, like there again, like you can get super philosophical and detail oriented with this kind of questioning, but like compared to what, like says who says, you know, go find, there's so many people in the world. Number one, number two, you can access almost all of them. So if you are receiving feedback from one group, and you want perspective, go online, go find a different group that thinks the opposite of the group that's telling you that Morgan Stanley or working in finance equals you've made it. Go talk to everyone else who would say the opposite. And so it's, it's always interesting when we pigeonhole ourselves into that and then we forget that we can open our perspective simply by opening our laptop, to be honest, or just like opening a browser page on our phone. Yes. Or listening to to podcasts even. I learned a lot of what being a startup is as well yeah. as starting your own business. Actually, from, from listening to a lot of different podcasts from entrepreneurs and especially female entrepreneurs and how they got started. And so if you seek it, perspective is there. But you need to push yourself to take that first step to listen to it. 
Yeah. And to listen to yourself and then go seek that other perspective and then sit with it and find if it lands with you. Like when you've made your changes and I was excited to hear you talk about when you were doing the women's initiatives, like it sparked something in you. I've always felt the same way. Like no matter what my, my various ventures have been over the past 10 years as an entrepreneur, because before then there wasn't a lot of like women's stuff that at least I was privy to. I was living in Europe and you know, I'm, I'm closer to 40. So things were a lot different back then too. But when I started working as an entrepreneur and getting more involved with associations and groups, and I felt myself very drawn to empowering women, like no matter what. And that to me was that spark that said, that's always been there, but only recently in the past year or so have I really pursued it in a very meaningful way and also also in a professional way, let's say. So I do my leadership workshops like we were talking about and lots of public speaking and I end up coaching a lot of women. Is that the same for you, by the way? Like you started all this women stuff. How did you take that and turn it into your coaching business, Project Presence? Yes, the, actually Project Presence started really similarly to what you were saying about your own experience. So was a part of Twitter Women. And as I said, I was a leader in Twitter Women. And so got involved in connecting with both fellow women in tech at Twitter and at other tech companies, as well as the younger generation. And I ended up having a lot of public speaking opportunities. So within those public speaking opportunities, I told my story and I didn't tell a piece of my story that kind of was the aha moment for me, which is when I was in finance, I, as you know, it's an industry that rewards conformity. And that's, yeah. as you can tell by now, not quite me, but, <laughs> but because of, you know, I knew I'm very self-aware. I knew I was bubbly am. I knew I'm bubbly. I knew I'm, I, I knew that I'm, kind of a more expressive person. And at, because I was conscious of that, it made me self-conscious that, that other people would judge me. And because of that, I didn't speak up as much and actually oftentimes let myself be spoken over because mm -hmm. I, I think that I, I thought that I would be judged. Oh, here's that happy girl. And it didn't help that I'm Asian. So I look very young too. Mm -hmm. So happens that that's the situation. So along with that, and then how I sounded, it made me very self-conscious. And so I, I rarely used my voice. And then the big change moment was when I got this piece of feedback one day from a manager. Um, and instead of commenting on the fact that I was, you know, owning the biggest book of clients on my team at that point, you know, a subject matter expert that everybody went to or any other work-related skills, he instead gave me this feedback that I was too happy. So essentially he was like, you know, people think you're quote unquote too happy. And I mean, too happy. I wasn't quite sure what that meant. So I thought to myself that that's not me. And how dare you, you know, tell me that I'm too happy and you don't talk about the quality of my work or, or anything else mm -hmm. and just judge me based on that. So I realized at that moment that I needed something needed to change, that I needed to be the person to push myself to, to be that change. And so, you know, was really fortunate enough to get a lot of mentorship and coaching, both, you know, mentorship at work, as well as through connections, as well as professional coaching on communication. And so that's what got me into the whole interest in communication. And at that point it was 
female aside, just mainly about personality and like wanting to balance my personality with presence. But then that like led me to tell this story often about remaining true to yourself and being confident. And that's the story that I share with a lot of women that when I was on a lot of panels back when I was uh, a lead on Twitter women. And the more that I shared my personal story, the more I realized a lot of young girls as well as fellow women in the industry would come up to me afterwards and tell me, me too. I'm so glad you shared that because yeah. I alone. I felt yeah. that way or I'm not confident in myself too because I feel like I'm really happy and people judge me because of that and I'm not sure yeah. how to have presence or how to how to have confidence and use my voice. How did you do it? And I realized that after panel after panel after speaking event after, you know, networking event, the more I told my own story, the more I started hearing other people's stories that were very similar and the more I realized that Number one, now is such an important time for women especially to share our stories and use our voices. And number two, I think what will equip women with more confidence to do so is learning how to own a room, learning how to have presence, and learning how to be more intentional with our communication. And so that's well, and I've been fortunate enough to receive so so much guidance and so much coaching and, and learning so much along the way that I then wanted to to pass on that knowledge and help other people tell their stories like I've told my story. Yeah. And your presence got started. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So I had to bite my tongue of rage <laughs> when you were telling that about being too happy or rather yeah. being pigeonholed and criticized about being too happy because this it's insane the statistics around feedback for women in work is that women receive 30 times 30x the amount of personal criticism than men do period period a woman will always not always a woman will be told 30 times more than a man that something about her personally is wrong, is don't be that way, should this, should that, mostly you shouldn't. And it is outrageous and it's completely inappropriate and it's changing because attention is being brought to this. So this is, you know, it, it's exactly what I talk about when, when I do my work in companies, when I talk about what is holding women back and most of it, is bias. Most of it is unconscious stereotypes and biases that have been perpetuated for decades. And you stepping up, noticing that and making a change for yourself and then role modeling it for others is exactly what we need. We need more women like you, or even like when I tell my story, like things that help other women who feel very often like I could never X, I could never say this. I could never stand up for myself, but you know what? You can. And the only should is right there. You should. That's the only should that exists, right? You need to. Yeah. You owe it to yourself to, to do so. And I think that people, well, the more people that women that tell our stories like yours, like mine, the more women who kind of have been a little bit in a dark corner thinking that they were alone will realize that they're not alone. Yeah. And we all need to, to uplift each other and support each other and encourage each other 
to tell these stories and and not only share our stories but encourage each other to to stand out for for ourselves and kind of own who we are and be confident in who we are and not let feedback like that define who we are either because that's not that's not true at all <laughs> absolutely no absolutely and same i i love we're so aligned it's it's crazy mm-hmm. but you know the talking about the support I like to call it sisterhood. I just, for me, it's a word that in, in like my personal life and in the work that I do, I do a lot of yoga and mindfulness training and yeah. So we talk about sisterhood and my life has changed substantially in the past few years as I've started to build this network, this community, this Kula, this sisterhood of women that is beyond my profession, but they support me. And then I, I became more confident in a very different way because I didn't feel ever like I was actually competing with another woman. And it changes everything when we look at another woman and think, I want to support you. I need to support you as opposed to looking at another woman and thinking, oh, that's some competition. Yes. And actually I read uh, in this study a couple years ago that it's harder for women, the more they move up the career ladder, the more it becomes difficult to find the fellow female mentors. And I was very kind of disappointed and surprised to read the reason is because a lot of women as they're climbing up realize that it's a men's world up there still in, the, in many industries and in many companies. It's still very much a boys club. And by the time that they get, get up there, it's either A, they've worked so hard to get up there. They're like, well, other women need to work just as hard too. Like they need to feel like how tough it was. So they don't kind of reach back down and and uplift others or B, they've kind of mixed in or assimilated themselves to that boys club so much that they've forgotten Mm -hmm. um, what it's like to stand out and they've lost their identity. So they also then don't back reach back down to the women a level or a couple levels below them and lift other women up. And I think that the most important thing is just like you said, for women to have communities, to, to surround themselves with other empowering women who want to support each other, encourage each other, and, and tell each other how, how badass we all are. Mm-hmm. As we're all moving up together, you know, we don't lose sight of that. And because it's true that we do really rise by lifting others. And, and that's, I, that's something that I really stand by throughout my life and throughout my career. Yeah, that and that's amazing. I'm I'm just so impressed that you've been through so much already and you're still under 30 because you know this cuz you're squarely in the millennial yes category, right? right in the middle. <laughs> to me, like it's funny cuz when I work with companies, a lot of times I get that what I get from them is that they don't quite understand them because I'm, you know, you know how it is. Like you're working with people that are older, they're Gen X. And they, they don't quite understand how, how millennials think about work. And I've always likened it to the way that you're thinking about it through meaning and purpose. Like when I, right. I'm not wrong about this. Am I like, I meet people, I'm like, no, you guys are not thinking about work the same way that even people in my generation think about work. It's totally different. You're absolutely correct. And studies have, have shown, as you were saying that, it's funny because in my head I was thinking, oh, well, millennial studies have shown that millennials are driven by purpose in their careers. And as just as I was thinking that, you said it. So 
<laughs> you are you are spot on. And even like it's interesting because I talk to my parents and also my parents are immigrants. They're from China. So their idea of success in work is a little bit different because they were like, you work too hard. You have too much drive. Like you sometimes just need to put your head down and do your work. Like stop always trying to climb to the top. <laughs> that's their, both their generation as well as their culture. That's, that's yeah. kind of what you do, especially because China, there's so many people. So it's kind of, you know, you just do your work and you go home and you, you do a good job but for, for my generation. But also here, especially here in the States, it's like, you know, we need to have purpose in, in what we do. It's just not enough to have a title or a salary or good benefits. Millennials are driven by purpose. We want to know that, that, I mean, I'm, I'm generalizing of course, but of course, yeah. it's true that most millennials, at least the people that I'm surrounded with, as well as that I, my peers and my colleagues in all of the companies that I work for are all driven. They want to know that they're a part of something bigger and they want to know that they're quote unquote, making a difference, that they're mm -hmm. contributing to society. And that's something that people who are working with millennials need to understand. But I think just so as much as that, in terms of communicating across generations, millennials also need to understand how the older generation, the generation above us functions as well, because otherwise we feel like they don't get us, but we've made no effort to understand them either. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so important to have that two-way communication. When I, I did recently a workshop in a company and, and I did it for all the women in the company and there were, there was such a, a large split. There was like 50-50 generationally, but then there were a couple women that were quite a lot older. Like they were probably in their, in their sixties mm -hmm. and I was watching them and, and I just thought I would so love for you to come up here and tell your story of what it was like to right. work in the 1970s, like to have a job, like what you had to deal with that you only see in the movies, yeah. right? If you, if you watch those old movies and it's atrocious what they've been through. And there's so much that can be learned because we all stand on other people's shoulders. Yeah. But if we don't know who those shoulders belong to, we're, we're never going to necessarily appreciate the work that's been, the ground that's been laid. Yes, absolutely. And, but we also run this risk of repeating history if we don't, if we mm. don't as well. And absolutely. I completely agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it's what I find really admirable about the way that you are like splitting and doing, not splitting, but you're doing project presence and your focus on empowering women in their presence and in their communication. How did that, I mean, you told the story about how you started project presence, but how did you start getting clients? Like, was it a natural outreach? Like, what did you do? And how do you make that work in your life? Because working for a startup is a lot of time. <laughs> well, uh, to answer your first question, how did I start getting clients? So 
as you probably know from speaking to a lot of entrepreneurs, the hardest part is getting started because I think so many people are fearing like, oh, I need to have all the answers when I start. I need to like get this, that, and that ready. But obviously that's, that's not true at all. You kind of learn as you go along as any entrepreneur will tell you. But a lot of people are kind of fearing taking that first step. So for me, I fell into that bracket because everybody's like, oh, you need to have this prepared first. You can't just like go and start your own thing without having. So for many years, I didn't. And I think that when I was like what I mentioned before, when I was a lead at Twitter Woman, I just felt such a strong desire to help other people that I was like, you know, I've always wanted to start something of my own. If not now, then when? And I have this such a strong kind of calling that's pulling at me that I need to tell my story, but I also need to encourage other people to do the same and teach them because now this last year, this year, these past couple of years have been such an important time for women to share their stories. And people tell me uh, their stories when it's one-on-one and I'm like, I want to help you have the confidence to do that in front of a larger group or to more people or to more strangers. And so I started kind of doing mentoring, just um, taking on a couple of mentees and and helping them build confidence, I think is the first thing. I think communication, before even written or verbal, you need to have um, some a lot of mental preparation first. You need to prepare your mind to be confident and tell yourself that you're going to be ready to do this before you even start thinking about working on some of the speaking or written skills or, or body language and whatnot. And so helping some people that I would connect with at these events that I would speak to, mentor them every so often when they have a big project or a presentation coming up or when they have a networking event and they they feel like they're really awkward when they're networking. So doing one-on-one mentoring sessions with them and then telling my friends afterwards, you know, oh my God, like this happened and I was helping this person do this and then they feel feel this way and them feeling more confident gets me so excited to see them and my friends would then lean in and want to be a part of that too. So then I'd have conversations with them. And so kind of putting it all together, Project Presence was essentially just putting a name to it and deciding to formalize it mm-hmm. um, because I had been mentoring so many people at that point and helping so many friends that I was like, you know, I think it's time that I've always wanted to start my dream ever since I was young. I grew up with parents that are entrepreneurs. I've always wanted to start something that I truly could call my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and for years, like I just mentioned, I didn't because everybody's like, you need to have the idea. And so I spent so long just figuring out what it is that I wanted to do. Yeah. But something that I realized that a theme that tied into all of these ideas that I had throughout the years was women. I wanted to work with women because that's what I connected with the most. And I knew that if I were to start my own business, I wanted it to be have a foundation in empathy. And women and empathy and something that I've always loved is uplifting others, as I've mentioned, and helping others and seeing other people grow and and being a part of that journey makes me excited beyond words and, and happy beyond words. And so that's why I decided to start Project Presence and then using you know, uh, my connections of the mentees that I work with kind of became my clients gradually and then started to speak as a part of Project Presence at events. So that's how I got some of my first external clients and then through referrals and that it kind of just built up through there. But I think for me, I've been fortunate enough to have a, a 
a network of, of women who want to lean into being helped and, and uplifted, which is amazing. And in terms of how I balance all of that to your second question, it's hard. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I think that I don't sleep a lot because <laughs> usually it's in the mornings is when I'll use to prep any of my the sessions that I have coming up and all of my sessions are done virtually. So mm-hmm. through Skype or Hangouts or a phone call and whatnot. And I'm pretty flexible. I, I'm lucky that now my transition from the West Coast and East Coast has been not bad because I can stay up later to talk to my clients on the West Coast when their day is has just ended. So that's been in my favor. And um, I think it's a lot of people say like, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. But, and I know that not everyone's going to have this opinion, but my opinion is time is made. So if you want something to happen, you can make it happen and you can make the time to make it happen. And that just means simply saying yes to this, but no, or maybe later to something else. And it's about prioritizing what's important to you. And, you know, maybe sometimes I'll give up hanging out with friends to, to work on this project or this week I'm giving up going to, uh, I'm still, I just moved back to New York. So still Mm -hmm. trying to catch up with a lot of people, uh, which I have a lot of friends, which I'm very, feel very, a lot of gratitude for. But a friend was like, oh, she knows I love music. Do you want to go to a concert this Wednesday? And I was like, oh, I can't. I'm meeting with a client on Wednesday night. But it's, I don't feel any regret because one, I think I've built strong enough friendships that my friends understand that I'm working on my passion project and they support that and they understand. So I've been fortunate enough to have friends like that, which I think a lot of entrepreneurs will tell you, it's like you realize the friends that really support you and you feel like, you know, you sometimes you have to say no to some personal time with them, but you know, you'll make it up to them later and they'll understand that. But so making time, saying no to some things, but saying, or late, uh, not now to Mm -hmm. something and yes to this project. And I think it also helps that I, I feel so much genuine passion about project presence and that I've something that I've always been torn about in my day job, whether it be in finance at Morgan Stanley or even at Twitter and social media is that what am I doing for the world? Mm-hmm. Um, I hear what, that. what is my legacy? You know, yeah. like what, what am I contributing? And mm-hmm. yeah, in finance, I could tell myself, you know, I'm a part of the money driver of society. <laughs> and at Twitter, you can say, oh, well, you're a part of generating revenue or helping continue the momentum for a platform that people come together. But that's not directly what I'm doing. So I always feel like, what am I doing for the world? And truly project presence is my legacy and and it's what I'm contributing to the world. And back to what we were talking about before in personal branding, it's my personal brand now. And I feel so much pride in that. Mm-hmm. Um, that project presence is not just me, but it's also something that helps other women. And it's something that helps other women find themselves in this world too. And that gets me so excited and makes me so happy that I could spend hours and days focused on this. And I would have, and I do have no regrets. oh you're amazing that is that is so inspiring it's outstanding and I I totally get it like when so many things again so many things like when I started Real Wealth Real Health I have a lot of experience in 
launching companies or growing companies or launching brands. And so I immediately went into like after the initial like creative bursts of all the amazing things that I could do with it, I brought in left brain and the left brain was like, okay, boom, 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 boom. This is the best <laughs> plan. And then you have to do this and then you have to do that. And then here's your content <laughs> strategy. And like, here's yeah. the, you know, the whole thing. And, yeah. and then it was, and then similar the narrative around, well, you can't launch till you have all these things and you have to have this much of this and this much of this and this much of that. And it started to infringe on really creep up on the creativity and it smothered it. Like for a while I lost some momentum because I was so overwhelmed and I did it to myself, but I was so overwhelmed with all of these other shoulds, which were a different kind of should. They were, well, to be successful, which really meant to look successful, you had to have all these things. So I would like kill myself doing like Instagram posts because they had to be just right. And, and then it was like, that doesn't add any value. I need to be adding value doing the thing that I do best, which is creating the content. So, and, and getting myself out there and it just becoming a part of me. And, you know, so when you were talking about, you didn't do something for so long because of that, I so understand, but you know what you, you were doing stuff anyways, just because you didn't have like a brand around it doesn't make it any different. Cause you're here, you're doing it, you're yes. killing it. And yeah. You we know. are doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and it's funny. I was going to ask you if you had moved back to New York. So mm. yes. That, yeah. Just back a month ago, it's been a crazy transition. It's funny because you, when I moved from New York to LA, I actually didn't want to go. I, I love New York so much and it's my heart and soul, but truly from my LA experience, I think the best way to define it is I once read on a wall, uh, (laughs) I'm proud of who I am today because I fought to become her and no true words could be uttered for my experience in LA, leaving everything I knew here in New York to go to this city that I didn't know anyone. I had never been to, uh, people drive, which is weird. (laughs) (laughs) Three cars each. Yeah. I, in New York, I don't even take the subway. I walk everywhere yeah. and go to have been frowned upon to walk 15 minutes from Santa Monica. <laughs> That's true. Like, downtown Santa Monica was very strange for me. So yeah. it was healthy because LA taught me how to live my life in a meaningful way rather than when I was in New York, all I really cared about was work. And mm. I had no desire to have a life. Genuine, genuinely no desire wow. to have of work. And so I think things do happen for a reason. Yeah. You know, went to LA, like I mentioned, Twitter helped me find my passion and I'm forever, ever grateful for that. LA helped me find myself and my life again and what I wanted out of my life outside of work, which I'm also grateful for. And so um, was curious to see how it would do coming back to the city of kind of grind, grind, grind. But interest, interestingly enough, now that I, I had been in LA for three years, I think I, I have become immune to this kind of grind and kind of all the always on the go life a little bit. So I still fit in fine, which I'm surprised about because I thought that I would be kind of to live life for New York. But um, I've now 
found a balance. And it could also be because of the stage that I'm at in my life where I'm confident in where I'm at and myself. And like I mentioned before, the things that I choose to say yes to and the the things that I choose to say no or later to that I've Uh, This city has always been here and I thought that I would leave and miss out on so much, but I think any city you learn, you leave and you come back and you realize life has, like New York has always been here for me all of these years and nothing has really changed, but I've changed and and that in a good way. So I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, nothing ever stops, right? We can always go back. Like you said earlier in the conversation, nothing is forever. And yeah, nothing's forever. You can always go back. You can always try again. Who's to say you can't? And with the prioritization that you were talking about, it comes down to, I'm going, you know, you said like, I can't go to the music event this Wednesday next time, right? Then maybe next time the, you know, and you just move there, but next time maybe they ask you, two weeks ahead of time or three weeks in, instead of things that pop up last minute. So it, yeah. it's just a matter of choosing and making time something that works for you instead of something that controls you or creates too rigid of boundaries. I agree. And I think that speaks for life too. Like I always thought that my life would be moving up in the finance ladder and, you know, being like a, a VP one day. And I think it was healthy and good to have a goal. I think it's good to be working towards something. But as I've learned, and I think as you, it sounds like as you've learned throughout your career as well, it's important to be working towards a goal. But along the way, if there are deviations and opportunities that come up, that's okay. And it's okay to deviate because every decision that we make defines who we are. And again, nothing is forever. So take leaps of faith. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. Life is, my path is a straight up zigzag. Like there is nothing linear about it. And I wouldn't want it any other way. I mean, that is not fun at all. Like you fall asleep at the wheel. Yes, absolutely. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I have so enjoyed this conversation and I am excited for New York to have you back. Uh, do your, do your work and do your magic and be such an inspiring role model to other women because the more of us that are out there supporting each other, holding each other up, the stronger we're going to be and the better society is going to be. Yes, absolutely. Girl power. It's been a pleasure and an honor to share this time and this space with you. You can find me on atapietorico.com and on Instagram. Please send me any comments, questions, or stories you wish to share. And if you feel called, please share this with others who are also on their inner journey. When we share our stories with each other, we arrive at our destinations of happiness, fulfillment, and contentment much faster. Until next time, this is Ada Piedrico wishing you a beautiful journey within.